If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we're going to talk about some recent group shows in Texas and abroad that recall a historic trend, uh, group exhibitions of women and femme identifying artists. So this is This is a thing in the art world. We talk about it every few seasons Um, and not certainly the first mention of this or the first critical inquiry into um, doing group shows that are led by women, uh, curated by women, discussing issues of femininity and the female condition. Uh, But nonetheless, Linda Nochlin's essay, why Have There Been No Great Women Artists, published by Art News in 1971, is perhaps like uh, the critical origin of us, at least in the States, thinking about and talking about why is there not more representation of female artists at the institutional level, in the gallery system, and um, what do we do about it? How do we feel about it? And what does it mean? So our discussion is not directly linked to Linda Nochlin's uh, famous essay. We're kind of going to expand a little further and think a little more contemporarily about uh, recent shows that are, some of which are up right now and you can go see them. Jessica, you recently wrote about the Women Painting Women show at the Fort Worth Modern. What did you think about that? I was able to go to the press preview. The exhibition just opened this past Sunday. The exhibition includes over 50 works of art by 46 female artists spanning from the 1960s till today. And I think the way that the modern laid out the exhibition and put works of art in conversation together was really interesting. Um, Sometimes these types of shows can be a bit surface level. Um, Just the idea of pairing female artists together because they are female artists. Um, But I think that this exhibition really pushes beyond that type of surface level framing So yeah, I think that there's a lot to see and a lot to consider in the show. For me, seeing the press releases come through, seeing uh, that title, Women Painting Women, just kind of like put in my mind, like I've seen that sort of phrasing a lot lately, right? So just to run through comparatively, 
more exhibitions at the national scale. Again, some of these are concurrently running. There's Women of Now, Dialogues of Memory at the Green Family Art Foundation in Dallas. There's Texas Artists, Women of Abstraction at the Art Museum of South Texas in Corpus Christi. There's Texas Women, A New History of Abstract Art at the San Antonio Museum of Art. Uh, Women on Top at Barry Whistler Gallery, that was in 2020. Commanding Space, Women Sculptors of Texas at the Eamon Carter in 2017. At the national scale, there's Women Take the Floor at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston in 2021. So this is a very surface level evaluation, but it just kind of, when you compare them to each other, you might think, huh, there is a lot of prioritization made for um, exhibiting art that is about women, by women, of women. So kind of like, what's the deal here? It's, it sounds like we've kind of made waves of exhibiting female art uh, in the years since 1971. And I would say that like definitely the dialogue has been furthered. What are your thoughts, Jessica? Yeah, so looking at the titles kind of in a list like this or, or thinking about these exhibitions um, all together, it can feel a little bit overwhelming and, and kind of like they really hit the nail on the head <laughs> with some of these titles. Um, but I also look at these and see a lot of nuance, right? Um, women painting women at the modern is exactly that, right? It's it's female identifying artists painting subjects who are female identifying. Um, and I think that there's something relatively unique about that perspective. When, when we look at, you know, the art historical canon, um, having an opportunity to see, you know, over 50 works of art of literally the female gaze, how women approach and paint other women and see the variety and diversity of that, but also um, have the opportunity to focus on that rather than the standard kind of male gaze of female subjects is is a really significant moment. And then when you look at some of the other titles like uh, Women of Now, Dialogues of Memory at the Green Family Art Foundation, okay, so we know clearly that we're looking at contemporary female artists um, and specifically artists who are making work about memory in the past. And I think that that is also something that that's interesting and nuanced. Now, the abstraction titles um, leave a lot to the imagination. Um, it would be hard to know exactly what you're walking into other than female artists who are making abstract work. Um, but yeah, I guess those are some of my, my first kinds of reactions to those, to those titles and to, to those exhibitions, not having seen all of them. And here at Glass Tire, we would always advocate, always, always, by all means, go see the shows, go see the shows. These are all happening at beautiful museums and galleries. Women Painting Women is at the Modern in Fort Worth. Women of Now Dialogues of Memory at the Green Family Art Foundation. That's in Dallas. So we are talking about North Texas uh, in part when we're discussing these shows that are currently up. I guess part of why I was interested in this topic is because 
if you dive into the critical writings, a lot of the points that come up, like as in Maura Riley's essay for artbasel.com, is that like Riley is fairly pessimistic or realistic, you could say, that the disparity in the numbers still to this day is still there. By um, if you look at MoMA's collection and you break it down by women exhibited versus men exhibited, it is still on orders of magnitude that do not by any means uh, reach parity or equality. And those numbers, you know, in the 21st century are still pretty sobering. But then if you look at the current season of museum exhibitions or the list that we just named off, you might think, oh, well, there's lots of exhibitions that are dedicated solely to examining the breadth, the scope, the complexity of art produced by female artists. So in some cases, a lot of this breaks down in the semantics of statistics, uh, which is an argument that can go on until the end of time. Um, I just thought it was an interesting topic for discussion because uh, right now you can read the essays from the 70s, from the 90s, from today, and then you could print them out and you can take them to the museums and you can kind of make an evaluation for yourself. Like, where have we been versus where are we? How do we feel about it? Um, has the state of the work on this subject changed with the times or are the problems static as always? Uh, well, one of the things that's interesting to look at, and, and I think some of these numbers might be in in uh, the article that you referenced, um, is, you know, while we might be seeing more exhibitions of female artists or group exhibitions specifically focused on female artists, um, when you look at museum collections, they're still not there. Um, exhibiting something temporarily is a great step, um, and of course it increases visibility for artists, um, but really putting your money where your mouth is and uh, purchasing works by female artists to add to a permanent collection and then putting them on view in permanent collection galleries is also a necessary step. Totally. Depending on, so like this season, there's some pretty strong group exhibitions that you could go see. And I think that, Jessica, what you're saying is that there can be kind of like an iceberg effect in terms of visibility. What you might see above the water, lots of great uh, group exhibitions of women artists, that might only be 10% of what's like in the holdings um, of museums and private collections in the US, in Texas, around the world. And so you might see some exhibitions and think like, well, we've made the progress. I think we're done here. Um, but a more sustained, critical standpoint to take might be to ask what's in the collection as a whole? What am I actually not, you know, what am I not seeing that's in the warehouse? And then by the numbers, how does that break down? Yeah, exactly. And I wonder how many institutions might be uh, 
doing those types of audits for themselves in these, you know, years following um, the pandemic and this time following the focus, the greater focus on equity and diversity in the art world. I wonder and would love to see information from museums um, about their internal audits of what their collections look like so that they can identify the work that needs to be done to truly be representative of American artists or, or, you know, whichever type of art that they are collecting, right? In terms of maybe, like you say, Jessica, auditing collections or what's on view versus what's not on view, um, the type of work that's being bought, the type of work that has success in the secondary market. I wonder what you think about um, treating time as like a linear narrative, like this statement that, you know, we've either come very far, but we have more work to do, or we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Do you think of it as like a linear process? Like, what do you think about that? Well, I think um, very few things, especially in the art world, are linear, right? Things tend to be cyclical, move forward and and fall back and and move forward again. Um, And so I guess I, you know, agree with the statement that, that we have come far, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, And part of part of that work is doing these types of analyses to understand where we are um, as a whole, uh, looking at the art world and individually, because some institutions are going to be in much different places than others. Um, Even though it is like historically a formalized practice of getting a curator, putting them in a museum and telling them we're doing a show of female artists about their condition. Let's let's do this. Even though that's like pretty formalized at this point, there's also a lot of interesting developments happening at the more both at like the individual level on the hands of galleries and like spaces that are not museums. Um, So for example, in Texas, uh, we have Women and Their Work established in 1978, which exhibits work by women artists in Austin. Jessica and I just visited recently and it was at their new space um, on Cesar Chavez. And there's even more kind of like niche or custom outfits like Texas Vignette, which was established in 2017, that functions as a satellite art fair, um, usually the same weekend as the Dallas Art Fair, although COVID has shaken up the exhibition calendar a little bit. Uh, But they are slated to exhibit this October um, in Dallas. Oh, and that's an interesting fair because they they give 100% of all sales proceeds directly to the artist. A Texas vignette doesn't even take a cut. So there's definitely people in Texas doing their darndest to figure out, like, what can we do 
to keep this like art ball rolling, but maybe raise the equity a little bit for the female artists that participate in the state that make great work and take their vocation as artists very seriously. And I think that it's really telling that we have these two, um, these two specific um, institutions or organizations that were founded so far apart, right? Women and Their Work, founded in the late 1970s, was responding to a need that they saw. And then here we were in 2016 in Texas Vignette, also created an organization responding to a need that they still saw. So that in and of itself, you know, shows shows me and, and I think is an indicator that maybe we aren't as far as as sometimes it appears when it comes to um, equity for female artists. It takes a lot of work, period, to accomplish anything. I know that's such a that's such a like a dad statement. Um, but but I mean, to your point, Jessica, women and their work may have been established in 1976 and they've been they've successfully put on a lot of fascinating shows. They have a beautiful wall of catalogs in their uh, Austin location. If you get a chance to go peruse through the years of what they've accomplished, um, but they only just bought like a permanent building last year. Um, And that's great. We're super happy for them. It's a great, it's great news for Austin. Um, It's great news for Texas artists because they'll have a place to show their work, but it, you know, it didn't happen in five, 10, 15 years. And Texas vignette being very young and, you know, having the unfortunate situation of having to navigate the pandemic like the rest of us. Um, who knows what their future will be like, but there's a need and they're doing their best to meet it. I would also like to mention a couple exhibitions that fall outside of the format of a large group show, but still kind of like innovate on the theme or at least deliver on it successfully which is uh, Finding Our Way Made Visible Through a Camera Lens, which showed at the MAC in Dallas last year in 2021. That exhibition was a two-person show, and it was kind of like historical works almost. It was, it was works from the 80s, uh, self-portraits and other photographs by Mary Margaret Hansen and Patsy Cravens. That show was kind of responding to, similarly today, uh, legislation on women's bodies at the time, which like you almost wouldn't know it by looking at the work because it felt so celebratory and so outside of the male gaze. Um, I found it incredibly impactful and beautiful. And Jessica, you also mentioned another recent exhibition at the Fort Worth Modern that kind of like successfully delved into the complexities of the work of an unknown female artist. Right. Um, Flora, the film that was created by Hubbard and Birchler. Um, I think I I think I have a link that I can share on this one. Flora was a great film. Um, that was created as a two-sided installation. On one side, 
you watched as the artist Flora's son, an older man now, uh, reminisced about him learning about his mother and her past. Um, And on the other side of the screen, you watched reenactments, dramatization of Flora's life. Both were incredibly moving for different reasons, um, but it, it was successful in in highlighting this artist who has been forgotten to history, but um, perhaps because she happened to be the lover of Giacometti, uh, but because of the challenges that she was facing, she ultimately destroyed much of her work um, and, and went on to live a life kind of in obscurity. Um, but it was a great opportunity and a great way to highlight her story and a story that I wonder how common it might be for women artists of the past, women artists who existed, who did great things, who we'll never know about, who were lost to time for many reasons. Well, and I think it just elucidates part of the point that um, like Lucy Lippard, the curator for the 26 Contemporary Women Artists show or Linda Nochlin or other art, other writers dealing in this issue of like, even if a, even if a woman artist is the partner of Giacometti, is that, is that enough to kind of like get them in the door that they're trying to get through? And the answer is not necessarily yes. Um, And also the installation of that work was gorgeous. You know, I think at times um, being the partner to a male artist who is going through his own bout of fame can more often be a hindrance than an assistance. Um, You know, for example, uh, Lee Krasner is definitely an artist who in her own time was held back by her relationship uh, to Jackson Pollock. And even Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, throughout her career was constantly fighting the rumor that her flower paintings were actually vaginas, that her husband started. Her husband started that interpretation of her work. Yeah, I think that reading about this subject and thinking about uh, current exhibitions and historical exhibitions has given me the perspective that it's not necessarily about posting a show with a couple dozen underrepresented women artists and then saying like okay we're like done for this season I think we're all good everybody can go back to thinking about whatever whatever they were thinking about beforehand and I think it's more about like making sure that you're sharpening your critical eye to every situation and every scenario and thinking like, is this equitable? Is this fair? What can we do to maybe, you know, just maybe trim off some of the fat and then include something that is deserving, something that is remarkable, something that is needed in this situation. Um, And partially because, as we've discussed, there's a lot of good shows in Texas that have been able to navigate that mindfully 
Um, and I think it's about continuing to do that and less about reaching the finish line at some arbitrary cost. Yeah, I completely agree with that statement. There's not, there's not even a clear finish line in, in this type of work. Having said that, I wanted to close this conversation with uh, just a pull quote from the catalog statement that Lucy Lippard wrote for the show she curated, 26 Contemporary Women Artists at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum in Connecticut in 1971. Lippard states, But until a great many women artists surface who have been taught by women, turned on by women's art as much as all artists have been turned on by the widely exposed art of men, until women artists have become aware and unashamed of the particularities of their own sensibilities, until then, I don't think anything definitive can be said on the subject. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another Art Dirt. Um, in the meantime, we recommend you take a look at our events listings. And if you're able to, go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.